0: If you're turning with me in your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn to, uh, we're going to start in 2 Kings today, 2 Kings 4 is where we'll be starting. So today, I want to talk to you about hope, which it seems like that's been coming up a lot the last couple of weeks. So we're going to talk about hope again and the power in just a little bit of hope. Like just a little bit of hope can change your whole world. A little bit of hope can change the way you live your life. So, so we're gonna talk about hope some today. And I wanna also talk to you about vessels and rats and a breakthrough. In that order. Vessels, rats, breakthrough. You're thinking, I, I know what he's gonna talk about. Congratulations. <laughs> I don't even know what I'm gonna talk about. <laughs> Hoping it comes to me real quick. No. Hope, vessels, rats, and a breakthrough. You know, Romans 10, 17 tells us that faith comes by hearing. So faith, like we get our faith, our trust. Faith comes by hearing. So as we start out just thinking about all this stuff, I just want to start with that question what are you hearing? Like right now, what is it that you're hearing? What are the voices that you're allowing to penetrate your heart and your mind and your soul? Is, I mean, there's all kinds of voices going on right now. Are, are you hearing social media? Are you hearing politics? Are you hearing, and I'm not saying it's a bad thing to be informed, but I'm asking, what are you hearing? Keep that in your mind. Are you listening to facts or faith? Because sometimes faith goes against the facts. We should always listen to the facts. We should be smart. We should walk with wisdom. But sometimes faith doesn't make sense. and Sometimes God says he'll do something and the facts say it can't happen. And as people of faith, we have to know that, yes, we want to know the facts. We want to know what's going on. We want to be people of truth. And as a matter of fact, but we also know our faith tells us that, hey, we we also believe in something bigger than the facts. So what are you listening to, facts or faith? Because if you can hear his voice, if you can hear God's voice, if you can hear the voice of your father then it becomes really easy to trust him. But if you have a hard time hearing his voice, if you're not hearing his voice, if the relationship's not there, so you don't, it's hard for you to decipher. Was that God? Was that not God? Was it? There's, there's so many voices that you can get confused and then it's hard to trust. If you don't have trust, you don't have faith. You can't. It's hard to walk in confidence if you don't hear his voice. So I already asked you all that in the worship service, but anybody need a breakthrough? Anybody need a breakthrough in your health or your finances or a breakthrough where your kids are concerned or a breakthrough? where I mean, there's all different areas. I mean, honestly, I want my life. I feel like as I mature as a Christian and I mature in my faith, that my life, if you were to step back and look at it, it should look like a series of breakthroughs. Breakthrough after breakthrough after breakthrough after breakthrough. Because as soon as you break through, you take a breath, you get a new hope, that hope grows into faith, and then you break through the next level. And you just keep breaking through. When I was in first grade, let me use somebody else as an example. (laughs) When Malachi was in first grade, he broke through into second grade. Then you know what he had to do? Start studying again. And learn all the new stuff and go through the steps and walk in obedience, and then he broke through into the third grade. And then he started learning again and he grew. See so breakthrough can be a process sometimes, a process of obedience. And, and we see breakthrough in the moment that it happened. Like that moment is where breakthrough happened, but did it happen in that moment, or did it happen in the millions of preparation moments before that? To get you to that breakthrough moment. And I'm jumping ahead of myself. Let's read the story in 2 Kings. 2 Kings chapter 4, verse 1. Now there cried a certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets unto Elisha, saying, Thy servant, my husband, is dead. And thou knowest that thy servant did fear the Lord. And the creditor is come to take unto him my two sons to be bondmen. Okay, so in their day, in their culture, if you could not pay your debts, then they would come take your kids as slaves. So that's what's going on here. Some of you all are like, oh, yeah, let's bring that back. No, no. So what's going on here is her husband died. She couldn't pay her bills. She was in debt. And so the people that she owed money were coming to take her two sons as slaves. Well, you think you need a breakthrough. You think you've lost a lot during this last season of life. Or, and, and maybe you have. And maybe you've lost a ton of stuff. And maybe some of you, have, you feel like you've lost a lot. You've lost things because of COVID. You feel like you've lost rights or freedom or jobs. Or, or for some of you, it's much more and some less but we've probably all lost something this woman lost her husband right? she lost her money her ability to feed her family and now she's going to lose her sons everything so Elijah asked her two questions I'm going to ask you those two questions today he asked her two questions and we see them in verse 2 and Elisha said unto her, What shall I do for thee? You tell me. Tell me. What? Imagine if you're hurt. I, I just told you. My husband's dead. I owe lots of money, and I'm losing my kids. They're gonna be slaves. Um I need money. Like, I just got done telling you this big story about how my sons are going into slavery because I don't have money to pay my bills. And you said, what do you need? Hello? I thought you were the prophet. You're the man of God. You are who is supposed to speak on the people, speak to the people on behalf of God. I just, you got to screw loose. I need money. What do you think I need? He said, what do you need? That's the first question. What do you want? Well, I just need to pay my power bill. That's what I want. Trying to figure out how to pay my power bill this Friday before they shut it off. Remember when the children of Israel were slaves and Pharaoh said that uh, they're getting too strong. Oh, no, they're going to overtake us. They're having too many kids. They're getting strong. They're our slaves. So, uh... Make them get their own materials, grow their own wheat, and get their own clay to make the bricks to build our pyramids. Because before, the Egyptians were supplying them with all the materials, and then they just had to build it. Right? So Pharaoh said, make them get their own. And you know what the children of Israel did? They prayed that God would help them gather the materials well. They pretty much prayed that they could be better slaves rather than pray for their freedom. They just tried to figure out how to be better slaves. They were dreaming small. They forgot about the God that they serve. You know, uh, when Henry Ford was asked about the automobile, um, and he said that if you asked the people what they wanted, they would have said, Faster Horses. They weren't dreaming big enough. Don't be dreaming small. Don't be asking God to make you a better slave. God's got something way bigger than that for you. We get stuck. God has a worldwide ministry for you. And you start saying stuff like, well, I don't even have the money to get to Atlanta, much less Africa. We cancel out what God wants to do because we start spitting the facts. I can't do that. I'm not educated to do that. I don't have the money to do that. I can't go there. I can't minister to him. I can't. I can't even fix. I can't fix my marriage. It's too far gone. I can't. What you can fill in the blank, but we all we like to come up with excuses. In fact, every time God's told me to do something, I feel like I've come up with some kind of excuse, even if it was only in my head like to think i've gotten better at that but the bigger the call or the more faith it's going to require the more excuses i can come up with the bigger the call the more excuses for me i know that's not y'all but that was just a moment of transparency i can come up with some excuses why i can't do what god wants me to do so first you got to get a vision and have a dream like you're going to see it you're going to see the plan Then comes hope. All right, let's look at the second question. First question was, What do you want? Second question, What hast thou in the house? That's the second question God's asking you today. What do you have? Like, take an inventory of your heart and your soul and your life, and right now, and just think about what do you have? What gifts do you have? What skills do you have? What resources do you have? What do you have? Now let's look what she said and see if your answer is anything like her answer was. Take it, oh Lord, he's still in the second verse. I'm going to speed it up. Don't worry. And she said, Thine handmaid hath not anything. I ain't got nothing. Have not anything in the house save a pot of oil. He said, what do you have? And she said, nothing but a little pot of oil. That's all I have. I don't have anything. Yes, you do. In fact, you have everything you need. Like she, We're about to see. She had what she needed. But in her mind, it was nothing. It was nothing. I don't have anything except a pot of oil. What good is that going to do? She had what she needed, and so do you. You just need the faith or the trust to let go of what you have. That's the problem. We don't want to let go of our, I got nothing but a pot of oil, but I sure ain't letting go of my pot of oil because that's all I have. I just told you, I ain't got nothing else. I'm not going to let go of it. I'm not going to pour it out. I'm not, and we see it all throughout Scripture. But we have to let go of it. Or where's the faith? Where's the trust? If you don't ever let go of what you have, you just have what you have. We have to be willing to let go of what's in our hand. You have what you need. Are you willing to let go of it? Put it back in His hand. Genesis 2, 7, God formed man, and he breathed life into him. God spoke creation into existence, and he got down, and he formed man with his hands. He breathed life into him. And he asked you to put your life back in his hands. Because to you, it's not enough. Are we just saying in that song, not enough? To you, your life's not enough. But if you will release it, it's more than enough. Why? Because He knows how to use it. He knows how to work it, as Romans 8.28 says. God works all things together for the good of them that love Him and are called according to His purpose. If you're chasing after your purpose, God will work everything together for your good. What do you have? Nothing but oil. Hey, what do you have? Nothing but a guitar. What do you have? Nothing but the ability to connect with kids. What do you have? Nothing but a lawnmower. What do you have? Nothing but a million bucks. See me after service. (laughs) If that's you, I felt that certainly not me. What do you have? Time. Nothing but time. God will use it if you give it to him. God wants your nothing but. Put it in his hands. When God when God called me to preach I didn't have what I needed. I didn't feel qualified. I said, "I can't. I got nothing. I need. I don't have an education. I didn't go to, you know, seminary. I I don't have experience standing up in front of people. It's not. I'm not comfortable with it. I got like, I got nothing but the ability to tell a story. And God's like, that'll work. <laughs> Will you give it? And I said, nah. So he had to keep asking me. like, "What You feel like what you have is not enough, but God can use it if you give it to him. And that's where your faith grows. Doesn't matter if you're qualified. God will use it. You want me to feed 5,000 people with one order of fish and chips? Give it. Verse 3, There's a long two verses. Then he said, wait a minute, then he said what? He asked her two questions, then he said, go. Let me do something. You got to go. You want to see a breakthrough, you want to see a miracle, you want to see God do something big in your life and help you out in the things you've been praying about. There comes a point in time where you have to go. You put it into action. We read it last week in Paul's letter. He put it into action. These things that you've seen of me, the things that I've taught you, you got to go. Then he said, go. Go do what? Borrow the vessels abroad of all of thy neighbors, even empty vessels. Borrow not a few. That makes no sense. I said, I need money. You told me to go borrow. Borrow. You're not very smart, prophet. You say, go borrow as many vessels as I can from all of my neighbors. And, oh yeah, and don't borrow a few. Go borrow as much as you can. Makes no sense. How's that going to get me any money? How's that going to help me out? What is that? Go borrow a bunch of vessels. And when thou art come in, thou shalt shut the door upon thee and upon thy sons. Go get all these vessels and bring them in. And then he said, make sure you shut the door. Why? Because all the neighbors were going to want to know what you need all them vessels for. That ain't going to help you. Your sons are about to be slaves. He said, no, shut the door on the distractions. Like we talked about last week, throw up some boundaries. When you walk in obedience, make sure you don't have a whole lot of voices that are going to talk you out of what God's calling you to do. He says, shut the door on you and your sons. Those relationships that are supposed to be close and help you. Get them in there with you because it's necessary. But then shut the door on the distractions. Shut the door on those other voices. And thou shalt pour out into all of those vessels. And thou shalt set aside that which is full. Pour out what? I said, I had one thing of oil, one little jar of oil. And you want me to go borrow all these vessels and pour out? And everyone that's full, set it aside. I'll go ahead and tell you how many are going to be full. None. I mean, that's how we think. So I'm telling you today, you need to borrow some vessels. Well, go borrow some. You need to dream big. Get a vision. It's good. It's healthy. Dream. Go borrow some vessels that God can fill. See, you don't have all the vessels that you need to do all that God wants to do in and through you. No, I told you a minute ago, you have what you need right you do have what you need you have what you need to pour into those vessels but you don't have all the vessels to do what god wants to do through you so what do i do you go borrow some you can borrow an idea you know you can borrow a thought process you can borrow a system i don't have an education So borrow an educated idea from somebody. Well, then what am I going to do? You're going to pour your oil into that vessel. What you have in your hand. Oil represents the anointing. Oil represents, all throughout the Old Testament, that oil, it represents the anointing of God. What he placed on the inside of you. what, What you're good at. What you're passionate about. So go borrow some vessels and get ready to obey. Don't try to make it make sense. Go borrow a program or a system or a thought process. and You can borrow all different vessels, but you need to use your own oil. Right? Don't, try to use their, don't borrow full vessels. Don't borrow vessels and try to use somebody else's oil. You need to use your own oil, your anointing. You know, she probably had some vessels in her house. Like, she probably had some other vessels in her house that, besides that one jar that was full of oil. But he said, go get some different ones. Go get some different thoughts. You're, you're stuck. Go get some different vessels. More. More bigger and pour your oil when I stand up and speak and like I said I hated standing up here and talking when I first started preaching 11 years ago and couldn't even hardly come up with words to say and would get sick at my stomach and and now like it's not that way anymore I actually enjoy it. And I get to go and talk some at like Tres Diaz meetings or we go to Blake House once a month and I talk to them and and there are different vessels that are offered and I pour my oil into it. Like this is the Sunday morning vessel and I'm pouring my oil into it. My anointing is what I'm called to do and and God fills it. And I can't tell you how many times, and even still, like, yeah, it's gotten way better. But before, it was real bad, and I still do it. But I'll like preach something good that felt good, like God will speak something to me. And I'll be like, ah, I shouldn't. Now, what am I going to preach? Like, gave all I had, now, what? What about the next vessel that's coming? I got nothing else to say. I've said to Jesse before, like, now what am I going to preach about? That was all I had. That was all I know. But somehow, every time I put another vessel there, every time I'm willing to let go of my oil, that vessel gets filled. Every time you step in obedience, every time you're willing to pour the oil that you have, the vessel is filled. You stop bringing vessels. And all you got is your little jar of oil. Don't stop pouring. Keep on pouring. Every time I think I'm out, nope. You just shut the door. You do have to shut the door on some distractions sometimes. (laughs) You might run out of oil if you leave the door open and get all the neighbors in there. You may run out of oil to fill those vessels. He says shut the door. Set some boundaries. See, God wants to do a miracle. You can't listen to everybody else. Why? Because they don't have the faith for what God wants to do in you. Like God wants to do big things through my mom. But God didn't give me the faith for what He wants to do in her. He gives her the measure of faith for what He's called her to do. He gives me the measure of faith for what he's called me to do. So you don't have the faith to do what I'm called to do. And I don't have the faith to do what you're called to do. So sometimes we need to shut the door. i read you those last two verses. We'll see. Three verses. So she went from him and she shut the door upon her and upon her sons who brought the vessels to her. And she poured out. You hear that? Her obedience was to go get the vessels, bring them to the house. And, and we talk about how she walked in obedience. She did what she was told. But that just told us her sons went and got those vessels for her. She didn't even go in, go get them. She was in right relationship She had people connected to her to help her walk out the call, the vision, the the dream that God placed on her heart, the thing that God told her to do. She had sons to help her walk it out. You can't do it alone. Her obedience. She was with the right people. She put it into practice. And it came to pass when the vessels were full. Wait, they were all full. That she said unto her son, Bring me yet another vessel. And he said unto her, there's no more vessels. And the oil stopped. She was getting excited. She was dumping it, dumping it. And everyone was full. She said, give me another one. Give me another one. He said, there's no more. And the oil went. (whistles) Stopped. That's what it sounds like when oil stops supernaturally pouring out of a jar. If y'all didn't know. (laughs) Then she came and told the man of God, and he said, Go, sell the oil, and pay thy debt, and live thou and thy children of the rest. That's a lot of oil. God came through in a big way. She got a breakthrough. She got to keep her sons. She had enough resources to live off of. It was what she was praying for and believing God for. But she had a little something she had to do. I want to point out that God filled as many as they brought. As many as they brought in the house he filled and it didn't stop until they were all full. I think sometimes we look at other people's life and say, God, why do you use him in such a big way? God, why do you use her in such a big way? They might be just putting out more vessels. They might be in relationship with their sons or bringing in a whole lot more vessels than your sons or lack thereof. Relationship, being planted where you're supposed to be in relationship, bringing in the vessels, dreaming big. Not making God small to fit your dreams? I do that sometimes. I Try not to though. Filled as many as they brought. Here's what God says. What you have the faith to put out there, I'll give you the anointing to fill. Well, I, no. What you have the faith to put out there, I'll give you the anointing to fill it. Me and Jesse were somewhere just dreaming big and I had a lot on my mind and confusion and like really just trying to hear God, you know? And I just turned on my phone on some worship music, some spontaneous worship music that I know that gets me In a place where I can hear where my oil can flow, where the anointing that's in me, just to see if I felt something. And as soon as I put on the music and took a walk around the place where we were, tears filled my eyes. And I began to dream and see things that weren't there. My oil started to fill the vessel. God says, you put it out there. I can fill it. How can we fill more vessels? like we can't even fill the ones we have No put it out there, God says, I'll give you the oil to fill it." Pastor Bruce gave me a, a really cool opportunity um, a vessel but I can't say right now because we're live. Last week, I just thought about that. But it's a vessel that I can pour my oil into. It's a vessel that I hadn't even thought about. But it's a cool thing that I can pour my oil into. And there'll be some other people in there when I shut the door. The first pot... Like the very first one that she poured into, it was probably, if, we were, if we're real about it, it was probably more obedience than faith, right? When she took her little jar and walked over to this vessel, it was probably just more out of obedience to the word of God. Like, I don't know what, okay, obedience. Maybe there was some hope there. Man, I hope something happens. I don't know what else to do. I'm desperate. God, I'm relying on you. I'm going to take this step of obedience. So maybe there was some hope, but I'd say it was more obedience than faith on the first pot. But then on the second one, she probably started to get a little bit of confidence as oil kept coming out of that jar and filled up that second one. You feel the excitement and the emotion. As she went to the third one. And that's how he works in us. God, I'm gonna God, I'm gonna bring the tithe. Will you work in my finances? Hey God, I'll give the talk and, and I'll study and I'll put the vessel there. I'll say yes, but see, I need you to fill it. So I don't run out of oil. She was probably getting pumped by the time she got to the end. That's why that scripture reads like that, "Come on, son, bring me another one." She was probably excited. As God came through over and over and over, vessel after vessel after vessel, the confidence built, the faith grew, the hope. Now it was a, a confidence. You ever see people walking around with just a confidence in God? with a boldness? That's because they've been pouring. They've been pouring their oil into vessel after vessel after vessel. And their faith's getting strong. She was pumped. That, uh, I looked up what that word vessel means. Um, and it's a Hebrew word. Listen to this. The word vessels that was used there. It means vessels instruments jewels armor bear weapons a bag a carriage artillery to furnish it means one another like another person being called a vessel pot sack things that are made and tools but I mean, that's a lot of different meanings and when I look back over my life, I've been asked to pour my oil into a lot of different things. and a lot of different people and weapons and armor bears and instruments and jewels that, that represents money, like resources and goods. So go get a lot of vessels. And I want to tell you today that the same God that filled the first one, He can do it again. He did it once, He'll do it again. He made a way where there was no way one time He can do it again. He's got the map. She got her breakthrough, she got her miracle with some obedience and some hope or some faith. Remember David, I won't go and read you the story, but you remember King David Uh, there was a certain story uh, where David and his, his mighty men were going off to wars before he took the kingdom from Saul and David had these 600 mighty men and they went off and they were fighting a war and they came back and their whole village and their houses were burned and all of their wives and their kids were taken captive into slavery it was a bad day they lost a lot and, and if you go read the story, it's in 1 Samuel chapter 30. If you go read it, like all the men, it says they started crying and they got depressed. And then they all turned on David. And they decided he's our leader. It's his fault that we lost everything, that life's not turning out like it's supposed to. We lost our wives. We lost our kids. And so they all turned on David and they decided to stone him and kill him. So not only did David feel like a failure. Not only did David lose his wife and his kids into slavery, now all of his men have turned on him and they decided to kill him. Put a death sentence on him. So David and his men burst out loud at the walls and they wept and they wept until they were exhausted with weeping. And David's two wives... Mm -hmm. and Abigail the widow of Nabal had been taken prisoner along with the rest and suddenly David was in even worse trouble see there was talk among the men bitter over the loss of their families of stoning him and look what David did David strengthened himself with what with trust in his God David strengthened himself by in God, remembering God. How many times has God come through in the past? How big is God? God can do this. David strengthened himself. And then he ordered the priest to bring in the ephod so he could consult with God. And he brought it to David so, so... I just wanted to point out in that little story that David strengthened himself like he got a little bit of hope and faith. He reminded himself to trust in God. to strengthened himself. And then he gets direction in the story. And right? then if you go read the story, then God tells him, yeah, go after him. And they take off after him. But since God told him to go after him, God gave him a hope. Yeah, you're going to recover all. You're going to get them all back. So then David leads the 600 men, but now he has such energy because he knows that God said he could get them back, that he's going to get them back. He had hope, faith that he was going to get everything back. He took off running, and the 600 men took off running with him. Well, after they got so far down the road, they came to this like creek bed, and they were all trying to get drinks, and some of them were so tired they couldn't go anymore. David said, that's fine. Whoever can go, let's go. The rest of y'all wait here. We'll bring your wife back to you. And David and 400 men just kept on running. 200 of them, like, passed out by the creek. I get my kids, too. See ya. I feel like I talk about failures. Get my wife, too. Should have been hitting the cardio a little more. No, they didn't have hope. We just read, you read it, they were weeping and weeping. They were all in a depression because of the amount of loss. That they had suffered and they didn't have hope, they couldn't keep going. They did recover all. First, he hoped he could get his wife and kids back. Then God spoke, and his hope grew into faith. You know, when faith's a baby, It's hope. Faith always starts out as hope. And I hope that could happen. I hope God could do that. I hope. And then it grows up into faith. There's a psychological term that they did all these studies and they came up with this term and it's called Learned Helplessness. Learned Helplessness. And a lot of people have what they call learned helplessness. From going through trauma, or it can be from going through a divorce, or from an abuse, or from all different kinds of things, you can have learned helplessness. You can get it from just having two parents that are enablers, and they teach you to be helpless and not know how to... It's the same, it's what they say, and part of the study was, we've talked about this before, so I won't spend much time on it, but when they train a baby elephant, how they just take a stake and they put it in the ground and they put a chain on one of his feet, and the elephant tries to get away, the baby elephant kicks and jerks and pulls and fights and fights at it, and after a while, when he finds out he can't get away from that chain, something up here in his mind clicks from then on for the rest of that elephant's life you know he grows up to be thousands of pounds and they can tie him off with a little rope on one of his legs and put a little wooden stake in the ground and he'll never get away once he feels that rope pulled tight he thinks oh I can't get away I can't get past that that's what they say is learned helplessness he could easily get away He could kick his foot like that and the stake would just go flying out. He could run off, but in his mind, he can't. In his mind, he can't get away. In his mind, he can't have a breakthrough. In his mind, he's trapped. And he's not really trapped. Um, Now we'll talk about the rats. They did a study that would not be allowed nowadays. Peter would be very upset about this study. Um, But they did a study in the 1950s. A guy by the name of Kurt Richter, a professor at Johns Hopkins, did some experiments with rats. He took all the same breed of rat, all right around the same size. He was very careful to make sure it was all about the same. He took 12 domesticated rats. And then he took these buckets of water, these glass-like jars, big jars of water, and he put the rats in there to see how long they could swim before they drowned. This is his experiment. You see what I mean? Kind of mean. And he just sat there with a timer. And he reports that uh, the domesticated rats, that one of them swam around the top, then it like dove down to the bottom of the jar and it swam around the bottom of the jar looking for a hole or a way out and realized it was trapped and it died pretty quickly within like three minutes. Two others did the same thing. But the other nine domesticated rats, they swam for hours. Days. Like more than a day. And then the second day they were still swimming and it was like, what? How the mother three, they drowned in three minutes, and these. So now it's time for the wild rats. Now these are the same breed of rats, about the same size rats. And he caught, wait, I don't want to tell you the wrong number. 34 wild rats that were freshly caught in live traps. Now, wild rats are known as excellent swimmers. And he reports that they were savage and aggressive. And that sound nice? I hate rats. So, in his mind, some of those domesticated rats could swim for like almost two days. So how long are these wild, aggressive, savage rats? They're going to be able to swim. They're known as good swimmers. He put them in and all 34 wild rats were dead within 10 minutes. Drowned. Every one of them. So, he decided we gotta do more studies and figure out why that is. see what I mean? Peter would not go for this. Because now all those subjects are dead. So we gotta go catch more rats. Now, here's the crazy thing that they found through all of his research. One more group of rats was selected. Carefully selected this other group of rats to find out why. Kurt wrote, actually, I don't want to tell you what he wrote yet. I'm going to tell you what happened with the second set of rats. Okay, he takes the second set of rats, and he put them in the water. And so he had found out that right around nine minutes, nine and a half minutes, is when they start going underwater, they lose hope, and they just sink under, and they drown. So he waited about nine and a half minutes, sees that start to go under water and he reached in and he pulled him out of the water and he dried him off and he put him in a nice warm place and he gave him a little something to eat and spoke nicely to him just for a few minutes, calmed him down, let him catch their breath. And then he put him back in the same bucket. Then that second time back in the bucket they swam for I think 18 minutes. And right before they started to go under, he tried them off, pulled them out, let them catch their breath, and he put them back in. All of the rats, after doing that, without pulling them out again, they swam for 60 hours. six zero, two and a half days. And what he determined throughout the whole study without reading you the whole thing. You can go look it up if you want to. But what he determined was the rats that drowned in less than 10 minutes had no hope. And the ones that drowned in three minutes, remember they swam down and looked around and realized there's absolutely no way out of here. I'm trapped. I'm dead. They had no hope. So they just gave up and couldn't swim anymore. I can't take it anymore. But when he gave the rats hope, That yeah, this situation looks bad. It looks dark. It looks like I'm going to drown. But I know from the past experience that once I'm about to die, a hand's going to reach in and save me. It gave them just hope. These rats didn't go to the gym. They didn't take steroids. They didn't have bigger legs with good fins that they could swim for two and a half days. It was the exact same rat's went from being able to swim three minutes to almost three days by giving them a little bit of hope. They had hope that they would be saved. Kurt wrote that the rats quickly learn that the situation is not actually hopeless. There is hope. And that after elimination of hopelessness, the rats do not die. When given hope, they swam for 60 hours. Same rats, same situation. 10 minutes, give them a little bit of hope. 3,600 minutes, they swam. 360 times longer with a little bit of hope. If you can learn hopelessness, you can learn optimism and hope. That's what he concluded. It's learned. The same you can learn to be hopeless, hopelessness, learned helplessness, you can also learn optimism and hope. Faith. Scripture tells us faith is the substance of things hoped for. It's what faith is. I told you hope is baby faith. I heard there's an interview on TV of this couple that their daughter was missing. College age girl was missing and they were on TV pleading if anybody had seen her or you know, had any information about her and stuff. And my heart just kind of went out to him as parents, like not knowing what to do. And the dad, you know, they let the dad, is there anything you want to say? And he started to talk and he said something that really caught my attention. Um, He said, we have to keep hope alive. Like it's been a long time and a lot of people are telling us that, it's over, that she's gone, that she's dead after this amount of time, that we shouldn't keep trying to get on those channels and keep searching and keep fighting. And there's a lot of things telling us like it's over just kind of mourn the loss and have a funeral, but he said we have to keep hope alive. And we feel like our daughter's out there somewhere. How do you keep something alive? Like you have the choice to keep hope alive in your heart and mind. How do you keep something alive? You feed it. You protect it. Make it comfortable. Then what happens? It grows. Grows into what? It grows into faith. Jeremiah 29.4 We all, all the good Christians like Jeremiah 29.11. God has plans for you, hope for your future, to prosper you. And quote that one. Look at 29.4. says, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, unto all that are carried away, captives, slaves, whom I have caused to be carried away from Jerusalem unto Babylon. What? A few verses later is where we're going to hear about how God has a plan and a hope for their future to prosper them. But they're slaves. They were slaves in captivity when God said this to them through Jeremiah. This doesn't look like hope. This doesn't look like a future of prosperity, God when I look at my surrounding situation when I look at where I live when I look at what's going on in the world when I look at where I need you to come through this doesn't look like hope this doesn't look like a future this doesn't look like all the things that you said you know God won't show you the way He'll give you a direction He'll give you a step to take but God won't show you the whole way why? because you won't follow Him you won't be in a relationship with Him. All right? If I know the way, I don't look at a map. I don't seek direction to Walmart and Bremen. I just go there. Isn't that cool? Like, I just know how to get there. I don't turn on a GPS. I don't make sure my phone's good and charged so I know how to get there. I just go there. If you knew how to get there, You knew the steps you need to take and you knew exactly how to get where God wants you to go in life. You wouldn't need God. You wouldn't need any kind of trust or faith. You just know how to get there. And you would go. So I must learn to seek, to listen and obey. Why? That's how relationship is formed. It's in the seeking and the spending time and the listening and the learning His voice and and listen, My... And John says, My sheep, Jesus said, My sheep hear my voice, and they won't follow the voice of a stranger. You know how sheep get to know the voice of a shepherd by being with the shepherd all the time. And he protects them and feeds them and takes care of them, and they remember. It's more than just knowing God's will for my life. God, I want to know your will for my life. I need to know your, I need to know. The path. I need to know the next place. I need to know your will. See, the goal is not to use God to get what we want, the goal is for God to be what we want. In my marriage with my wife, Jesse, like, I don't use Jesse to get what I want. Relationship with Jesse is what I want. The other things are benefits to that relationship. And if you get that twisted or backwards, it's not a good relationship. It's not a relationship if I'm just in it to get what I want. God wants relationship with us. If you turn two pages over, Jeremiah 31, verse 17. And there is hope in thine end saith the Lord that thy children there is hope in thine end saith the Lord that thy children shall come again to their own border your children will come home and that's the same words are used there as in Jeremiah twenty nine eleven. it's translated different um, here and in Jeremiah different translations say it differently but it's the same words used where it says it's a, a Hope for your future. Hope for thy future. So, hope in thine end. Like, we can take that the wrong way, but what it's saying there is that there's a hope for your future. There's a hope that your kids are going to come home. Last scripture. Zechariah 9. Zechariah 9 11. As for thee also, by the blood of thy covenant, I have sent forth. See, he's talking to the children of Israel who were, again, in slavery, taken captive, all this. And he says, because of the blood of thy covenant, because they were his children, they were the children of Israel. But see, for us now, when we read that, because of Jesus on the cross and the blood that was shed there, we're all his children, so this applies to all of us. So to them, he was saying, as for thee also by the blood of the covenant, I have sent forth thy prisoners out of the pit wherein is no water. Turn you to the stronghold, ye prisoners of hope. Notice that. You prisoners of hope. Even today do I declare that I will render double unto thee. Wait a minute. He says to the prisoners of hope. I'm going to render double to you. You're going to get a lot bigger inheritance. You're going to get double what you lost to the prisoners of hope. I'm going to give you double. The NIV words, that verse like this. Return to your fortress, O prisoners of hope. Even now I announce... That I will restore twice as much to you. If you will become a prisoner of hope. Well, what does it mean to be a prisoner of something? It controls you. It traps you. It's, I think if you're chained to somebody. somebody you're, Their prisoner is dragging you around everywhere. Everywhere you go. You got, I got hope. If you will become a prisoner of hope. God's going to give you double. You'll see a breakthrough. See, no matter what the situation looks like, no matter if there's no way out of this jar and I can't swim any longer, I still have hope because God's bigger than the circumstances that I'm in right now. God's bigger than the loss that I'm feeling right now. God, I'm going to encourage myself in the Lord like David and I'm going to have some hope for the future because hope's always tied to the future. So if you need a breakthrough today is hey, we don't ever end like this but is the the worship team all still in here could could we end with the uh, the bridge of that new song breakthrough I see a breakthrough coming I think everybody's still in here Just would just do the bridge. Because I feel like with this message and just with a little bit of hope, I see a breakthrough coming. By faith, you can see a miracle. By believing and stepping into what God has for you, things can change today. This situation. The rats didn't have to go work out. So you little rat self, all you need is a little bit of hope. And you can th- swim 360 times longer. You can fight that much longer. It's not going to kill you. It, it very well may kill you. Whatever, and I say it, whatever you're going through, whatever your demon is, your giant is, your loss is, your addiction is, your, your negativity is. I don't know what it is for you, but it may kill you. But if you can get some hope, if you can get a little bit of hope, you're going to see a breakthrough is BYOB? Bring your own breakthrough. It's found in you. I can't. I can't bring your breakthrough. I don't know the steps that God's called. I don't know the vessels that God's called you to go get. I don't know. Like I can't bring your breakthrough, but you can. You know what breakthrough means? Here's the definition of the word breakthrough: a sudden, dramatic, and important discovery or development. An instance of achieving success in a spectacular sphere or activity. So in basketball, when someone shoots the championship winning shot from the three-point line, it's a breakthrough. A breakthrough from contender to champions. A breakthrough came in that moment, but it was because of a million shots taken before that to get good enough to make that shot in that moment breakthrough's coming so the key to your breakthrough is hope that's some some of y'all that's all you need you needed to hear the message today and know some hope the key to your breakthrough is hope all the power that you need is inside of you that jar of oil, that's enough. Will you pour it out? Quick. Keep swimming, little rat. There is a hand that will swoop in and save you. He did it once. He can do it again. Y'all stand up We'll sing this bridge through a couple times. If you need a breakthrough, sing this. I believe somebody's gonna get a breakthrough today. If you believe it, let's agree with each other. Let's join our faith. We're looking for breakthrough. God, we believe that you've called us, that we've heard your voice. We hear your word. And we're going to step out in obedience. We're going to be faithful to pour the oil that's in our jar. We're going to stop making excuses of why it's not enough or why it won't work. We're going to pour our oil. We're going to gather vessels. And God, we believe what you said. Would you give us hope today? God, energize us like the little rats swimming in a jar. Give us hope for the future. God, we're going to protect that hope and feed that hope. In fact, we're going to become prisoners to that hope. We're going to chain ourselves to that hope so that no matter what things look like out here, that all we can see is hope, that we keep saying no, no, no. My hand's going to come in and save me. I don't care how bad it looks. I got hope for the future. Because that hope will grow into faith. God, we love you. We thank you for speaking to our hearts and our minds. We thank you for planting us in your house. Continue to work. Continue to move. In Jesus'
1: name, amen.